Okay, so today we are going to be, we've kind of moved on into a new section in the Systematic uh, Theology book. Today we're going to be looking at baptism in and filling with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, if you were to go and get you yourself a collection of Systematic Theology books that like run the course of, of church history as long as um, as long as systematic theology books have been put together, what you will find is that a, a, a good solid majority of those will not contain a section on um, baptism in the Holy Spirit and then filling with the Holy Spirit. This is um, kind of a, a recent addition that is um, kind of come along as the need has arisen within the church to address um, kind of what what we know as the charismatic movement, right? So um, I will I will recommend this in this class, and then when we're later um, going through this again in the sanctuary, um, in kind of a different with a different angle, I'll recommend it there as well because I think this is one of um, there are times in our in our walks with God where certain sermons that we hear. Um, calls us to sh- to completely shift the way that we look at passages of text. And the sermon that I'm going to recommend from you t- to you to go listen to. I mean, it's wonderful that you can go listen to it. Um, it's kind of a contemporary uh, preacher who preached this message and um, did an excellent job. So R.C. Sproul is the name of the of the guy that preached this message. Um, and the name of the sermon, if you were going to be looking for it on YouTube, is undervaluing. Pentecost. So um, he kind of brings up some really interesting things there, and um, that's kind of that sermon uh, for me gave me a greater understanding of just what it is that God is doing within the book of Acts, within the church, and particularly he does a good job of addressing a couple of different places where there seems to be this. interesting turn of events where it looks like Pentecost or a Pentecost-like event happens multiple times throughout the book of Acts. Um, And when we're thinking about what does it mean to be baptized into the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit, um, I think one of the, and this is kind of pointing back to to one of the things that I think Grudem does exceptionally well in his chapter dealing with this, um, is there's there's something of a tenderness that he brings it when he addresses this idea, um, and he does. This is probably one of the best chapters in the book where we where I think you can see Grudem's kind of heart for teaching God's word come out here as well, and the way that he kind of tenderly addresses um, the charismatic movements and uh, charismatic movement and some of the dangers that kind of come along with um, the ideas that are put forward there, and he he. He deals with those uh, really gently in the book, and um, I appreciate I appreciate him for that. One of the things that he points out that's worth noting about the charismatic movement in general, and this is not saying that all of those who um, would identify with the charismatic movement would hold this particular view, but it is one of the dangers or pitfalls that's associated with that view. is almost a two-class system within the church, right? No, I'm not talking about like 
health, wealth, prosperity. That there, there's, there's a lot of like modern things that are that are occurring within um, mainline Christian denominations that um, are that pull from like the health, wealth, prosperity, and then there are those that pull from charismatic. Particularly when I'm talking about charismatic movement here, I'm speaking about this idea that as a believer, you may not yet have been filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit. That there are, um, they would put forward that there are two events. There's you coming to salvation and then there's an event that happens afterwards that you ought to seek for as a believer in which you are filled with the Holy Spirit in a very different type of way. So, th- so this is why I say there's kind of this two-class system here, is there are those who are believers who have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there are those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that, the danger that comes in that is, is um, almost like, a, like it, it clearly brings division where there ought not be division, right? Like if I've, if I've been um, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and ultimately like a lot of the, like how, well, how would you know that someone's been baptized in the Spirit is there would be more power in ministry. There would be like a special, I'm air quoting here, anointing upon that person's ministry. There would oftentimes be a uh, speaking in tongues that would immediately come come out of this like being um, baptized in the spirit so so all of these produce this reality in which we could all be believers but some of you have experienced God in a in a in a more spectacular way and um, one uh, like danger that we ought to identify right away from this is the most spectacular event to ever happen to you was death to life okay so no amount of like power in ministry trumps the fact that you were dead in your sins and trespasses and now are alive in Christ, right? So um, a, a couple of the, the places that um, those who would be drawn towards a charismatic approach to, to viewing Scripture, um, where they would look is they would look to these events within the book of Acts where it does appear that you have these uh, these special moments of outpouring of the Spirit in a way in which tongues is clearly present in many of these events. Um, in many of these events, it's after the person is already a believer, right? So, like, it's what I would argue is as we as we look at these this morning is that um, these events are so distinct in and of themselves um, that you can't even classifying ordering because of that distinction right what do I what do I mean by that is that you could not look at these events that we find in the book of Acts and lay out a pattern for which you could expect to experience these things does it come with the laying on of hands or does it not does it come after you're a believer or upon belief right like the like does it come because you were a Jew does it come because like like there's the only thing that we can find that I think makes sense of these events and I, and I, and this is where I would say like go listen to Sproul RC Sproul does a, a way better job than I'm going to do um, in this particular uh, case here um, of laying out what it is exactly that we see in these um, special uh, outpourings of God's Spirit upon these people. And 
what we're going to see here and what I would kind of as we um, dig into this, I want us to consider that for the Jews, there would be four distinct categories with which they would classify the world. The two distinct categories would be Jew and Gentile, right? And But there are actually four categories if we, if we look deeply into these. There are Jews, right? These are like what you would expect to be Jews. These are, the, these are people like Paul. There are Samaritans, which were once Jews, but now are kind of frowned upon, like... like, like and, and, and in this, there's, it's because there's an intermingling of the, the um, pure Jew with the Gentiles, and there's a different kind of people that come out of this. And so there's the Jews, there's the Samaritans, and then there are those who were um, God-fearers, those who were not Jews, um, didn't whole so they weren't full proselytes. They didn't come and and and, and essentially like convert to Judaism, but they saw what the Jew like they saw the God of the Jews and they um, they feared him and respected him, but they did not wholeheartedly chase after um, the law necessarily. Like particularly when it comes to circumcision, they weren't about that. Right, and uh, we could understand why one, as an adult, might not <laughs> be about that if you don't have to be. Right. So we have this. That's the third group: so Jews, Samaritans, those who feared God, and then those who did not fear God, those who were the who were Gentiles afar off. Right. So um, what I believe we find when we're looking at this in uh, the Book of Acts is, I believe we see clear evidence of the promises of God being fulfilled, the commission that he set them out on uh, before he ascends to the throne, we see worked out. Now, completely? No. Right? Because even today we're fulfilling the Great Commission. But in a, in a real sense we see this promise playing out of, of the nations in the book of Acts. So within a 30-year period of time, 30 to 35-year period of time in which Acts takes place, we find the Jews, the Samaritans, those who fear God and the nations being reached by the gospel and being brought in in the very same way in which the Jews were brought in, right? Just like just like those who followed Jesus most closely and who he told to wait on the Spirit and they waited and that Spirit was poured out on them, we find that same thing happening. There are no second-class citizens in the church, right? There is no group of people within the church that God has not fully accepted as He did His own people. And the playing out of these events within, um, within Acts is evidence of that reality. And um, when we get in the service this morning, kind of a, a, a glimpse into this, um, we're going to look at Jesus' promises to the disciples um, while they're literally in probably one of their lowest moments as far as like um, the news that Jesus has told them and the promises that he lays out for him, what the Spirit is going to do. And then we're going to see... 
um, this reality play out where um, so like recently we've covered um, where in chapter 17 of Acts they're brought before and they're like these are the men who've turned the world upside down what we're going to find out is that in each of these points that we're going to look at here this is God himself turning the world upside down right like this is like turning the world upside down and in not just like that he's turning the world's expectations upside down, but the believers themselves, he's turning their worlds upside down. He's opening up to them what Scripture had been speaking all along about, that he was going to take this to the nations, but they see it clearer and clearer. And it is not like... I'll save some of this <laughs> for later. Um, Go ahead, brother. Uh, it is... It is not that it is not that men turned the world upside down because what we find is that men scatter and flee, right? Like Jesus, I'll be there with you to the end, and he's like, Peter, man, no, you're gonna you're gonna like deny me, right? You're gonna deny me. The disciples will be here for you. Who's who's gonna be at your right hand, kind of thing? And it's like on his on his on his day of testing. Uh, what happens? Where are the disciples to be found? Scattered. Cowards. Right? Um, so something has happened dramatically different in the lives of these believers that was um, only foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Right? There was only foreshadowed. That we see glimpses of the Spirit's power come upon people in the Old Testament. But we find an indwelling of the Spirit on all people who place their faith in Christ in the New Testament that is earth-shattering, that, it, that, that literally turns the world upside down. So um, let's look um, at numbers. We're going to look kind of at an, at an early example of kind of a, a prophetic um, hope that... Uh, Moses has here. So Numbers chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 24 through 29. So Moses went out and he told the people words of the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. So what happens when the spirit comes upon them? We see this prophesying. But they did not continue doing it. Right? Like these things were like, there was this temporary nature to this reality. Um, verse 26. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Verse 29. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? And the, the reality is that yes. Like Joshua knew that something special was occurring in the life of Moses. So when he saw this, like his natural tendency was, like they're trying to do what you're doing, Moses. But Moses' reaction here is, um, is pretty, pretty selfless. And 
Um, so this is Numbers chapter 11. Um, we started in verse 24. Now we're over in verse 29. So it says, Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? And here's Moses' hope here. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses' hope here was not that he was this single, solitary individual working, that glory might be given to him, that esteem or fame or reputation might be given to him, but his, his hope as the mediator of the Old Covenant was that there would come a day in which God would pour out his Spirit on all of his people. Right, um, And now we're going to continue over. We're going to look at another spot in the book of Joel. Here we find um, a prophecy that comes back to us uh, when we get over into the book of Acts. Uh, so Joel chapter 2, uh, we're going to be in verses 28 through 32 here. So Joel chapter 2, verse 28. So Moses had a hope, and Joel here puts forward a prophetic word. Okay, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall, shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we get this um, promise of this prophecy and then we get this uh, reality that um, it is not just for the Jews that this hope comes, um, but that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord here shall be saved. And now let's flip over uh, to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at these um, these events where we see these uh, this outpouring of the Spirit. Um, let me see how much time we have to kind of okay. Trying to gauge, just trying to gauge uh, how much time to spend in any particular spot because I do want to cover all four today. So we're going to be looking at um, the the outpouring on these four um, kind of groups of people: the Jews, the Samaritans, the God-fearing Gentiles, and then um, the Gentiles who are afar off. So we will see in this. I hope that God is fulfilling His promise to take the gospel to the nations. And that um, the gift of repentance is what? what do it, when you repent, what do you receive? What's, what is it that you're, you hope to receive? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. But the gift that is given to you is the Spirit of God. Right? Um, how many of us... Uh, would say that um, in your day-to-day -day walk, if Jesus would just come in this moment, 
then perhaps I would, he could uh, steer me from this sin or he could give me encouragement here. If I could just lay my eyes on him, right? How many of you have ever thought that? That, man, how much it would change me if I could see him like the apostles saw him. How many of you, do you think that that would change you? How many of you do you think that that would be a distinct event in your life if I could just see him? Now, we're going we're gonna to kind of, we're getting a little bit ahead um, and, and kind of previewing what's going to come in the sermon later. But as Jesus has sent Judas to do the work that he's going to do, and as he has um, given the, the disciples this, this difficult reality that he is going away, and their hearts are heavy, just like you would be. If a dear friend of yours was going away and you thought you might never see him again, your heart would be heavy. Christ's response to the ones that were closest to him, those who the thought of not getting to see him with their own eyes weighed so heavily on them, responds to them saying that it is to their advantage that he goes away. It's to their advantage. Okay? Now we believe that if we laid eyes on Christ, that it would somehow change us and give us an advantage. The truth is, believer, the truth is, I need you to hear me here, your advantage is that He lives within you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Are you a Jew? Doesn't matter. What about a Samaritan? Doesn't matter. Before you heard this message, did you fear God? Doesn't matter. This hope of the indwelling of the Spirit is for every believer. It is a gift to every believer. It is your advantage in living the Christian life. This is why it's so dangerous to have this idea that you might come to Christ and somehow get a lesser dose of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is your advantage for life. So why then do we find these accounts in the book of Acts of separate outpourings? And it seems to me to connect really closely to the Great Commission. Because he, he said that we baptize in the name of Yeah. Yeah. I think of people I know who've been saved who've never been discipled. And that's where we fail. Yeah. It's not that that um that the supernatural didn't take place that day when they placed their faith in Christ. And he will complete in them and with with or without us discipling. Yeah. He knows the end of their life, their purpose, what he's gonna do and accomplish yeah. through them. But, and, and by his grace, that person is just as important in the kingdom as the man who's been discipled to the nth degree. Yeah. And we, we forget that. Yeah. Because, but it's and and one of the things that we don't realize either 
is the way in which God's Spirit works within us. We have a very narrow view of the effectiveness of our lives as believers. What do I mean by that? Um, If I were to ask you, what does it mean to live faithfully for God? If I were to ask you to give me a list of things, um, I would imagine that if you were looking towards someone and you were going to say they are fulfilling that, that it would have things like evangelism to the nations, like like you went to all of these different places. It would have um, particularly special events that occurred in that person's life that are clearly God's blessing on them. Um, It would have some uh, type of ministry that clearly is fruitful on this side, right? Like the numbers increase. Like this is why we desire that within our churches because we think that that is clear evidence of God working in us. But the reality is there is there is like a deep truth in the way that God works in each and every one of you um, individually. And this is not to say that you should not seek more holiness, that you should not seek to strive for great like leaps within your, your walk with God. But the reality is, is that the Spirit of God, if you are a believer, is working in you today. And the, the world, because we see it like, very, there's this very temporal nature to the world. We see what we see now, right? What we, what we often don't see or we don't see easily is 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years from now. We, don't, we, we oftentimes don't think about our actions as it results in a year from now, much less how our actions impact 100, 200, 300 years from now. The Spirit of God who works within you as a believer does. Yes, generation after generation yes. after generation. He does. And you think about like John Piper's mom. Yeah, John Piper's grandma. Thank you. Think about the ones that we would assign that to, right? Think about that. We as, we would assign it because Piper would be one of those. For me, I'd be like, clearly, right? Sproul, another one. Clearly. But there were, there were people who we will never know their names. That if not for the Spirit of God working in them, those individuals, that we do know their names. Yeah. That he walks into this denomination that he was not a member of or anything. And this random guy yeah. sick and he comes in and this random dude had to fill in last minute and didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> but God worked through the yeah. and just I mean, you see the minister. And he who plants is never greater than the harvest. Yeah. And this is so, and I think we forget that sometimes like that person who works in the kitchen who may have said one word to a child, right. fed that child. And then we downplay, like you said, our own impact you do. in our walk with Christ. Because sometimes in my life now, I have gone from 300 and something children that I was impacting to being at home canning <laughs> yeah. and ministering to my family and my neighbors. Those things are just as important. Yeah. And even though it doesn't feel the same. 
Labor faithfully, right? Labor faithfully. It is God who is turning the world upside down. Now, here's the thing. The reason that that verse in chapter 17 of Acts resonates so strongly with me is that there's something in me that that says, like, yeah, man, I want that to be said about me, right? Like, there's something that it's like that the world would say that we made an impact. Right, But here's the truth. If the world never says it about you, believer, yes. it is undeniable that God himself is turning the world upside down. And he's done it with mostly nameless people to us. Not to him, but to us. Right? We don't know their names, so we can't give them that praise and glory. Thank God we don't. Yeah. And he is and will continue to turn the world upside down. Like this is the reality. This is what he's showing us here when we see this. So um, verse 4 of chapter 1. And while they were staying with them, he ordered... So this is Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus ascending doesn't say, Go do your thing. Right? Because what happens if they go do their thing? What happens? It falls apart quickly. Okay? Um, if everything that we see about these men he's sending, these men he's commissioned, tells us anything, it is that when pressure comes, they fold. Okay? Now, I will one day have conversations with them in heaven. Okay? So, I don't want you to think that I am talking about them in a way that I don't think about my own self. Right? When pressure comes, what do we do? We fold. We fold. Without the Holy Spirit pushing in on us, we look exactly like the people of Israel who were supposed to be a lot to the nations but never got outside. Right? Yet what do we find 30 years after this promise? What do we find? That the Holy Spirit has turned the world upside down and he didn't stop there. When, when Dustin says his, his last amen on the last sermon through Acts, it's continuing. The Holy Spirit's continuing that work. That's why we are here today. So what do we find about this special outpouring? They waited. They waited for this promise. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house 
where they were sitting in divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and it continues down they go out and people hearing it and they're amazed verse 12 and um, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mocking said they're filled with new wine Peter this one who was cowardly just moments before Christ being crucified this one who um, I, I hope my friends have my back better than him <laughs> right? And he was the bold one. Um, but now what, what happens is he's filled with the Spirit. But Peter, standing, this is verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my servants and fe- even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. If we go down a little bit more, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men what a what a change of events someone who would deny him and now he's saying you know this is true you were there you killed him let's go on down verse 32 this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into the heavens but he himself says I want you to pay close attention to the scriptures that he's chaining together here this Jesus whom you crucified has ascended where is he sitting right now at the right hand of God what has been given to Jesus right now all authority all things that are the father's are his he's been given the gift of the spirit to give to his people and what does he do with that he pours it out on them this is what what they're experiencing right here and then what does he say the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool what is God doing with the church the Spirit of God empowers the church. Without it, we look no different than every other cowardly people who would fold under pressure. But with the Spirit moving in us, turning the world upside down, we are those who are making this reality true by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has ascended. He is on the throne. His enemies are being made His footstool. This is what the church is doing. How else could so so few people turn the world upside down? 
How is that? How is that? That, that they were trying to squish them out. And the strongest persecutor of them becomes the champion of the church. Right? How is it? How is it? The Holy Spirit is moving in His people, making the enemies of God to be His footstool. Verse 38, Peter said to them, so, like, upon hearing this, like, clearly the Holy Spirit is moving in this message. And having heard this, they're like, what do we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Okay, now it sounds as though Peter has it all together. Right? Like Peter's preaching the absolute truth here. Right? Why is it that we find them amazed later? Why is it that we find them amazed later? Why is it that the very thing that he said God was going to do, God does, and then they're amazed and fall silent? Are we not just like this? Was it, was it men who turned the world upside down? The Holy Spirit moving through them to speak truth. Truth that they, in reality, that we, in reality, don't fully grasp. This is why we find ourselves time and time again amazed at the work that God is doing. Yes. Especially when we look back. Yeah. Because so many times it seems like it might not even be magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So now we move we move forward to the second example of this outpouring. Uh, we are now um, in chapter eight. Um, we're going to have to move quickly. Um, we are now in chapter eight. Um, Philip has proclaimed Christ to the Samaritans. Um, and we've, we're gonna we're gonna pick this up in verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they for he had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. How mu- how this must have been one of those eye-opening moments for them, because no doubt they were amongst those who before. Christ had impacted their lives looked down on the Samaritans just like every other Jew looked down on the Samaritans and now they're the ones having to lay hands on them mm-hmm. right <laughs> right are they second class citizens because they're not fully Jewish no, no. go I want you to I want you to touch and and I want you to see this take place so there's no question in your mind 
Right? We progress on to the to the third event. Here's the God fears. There's a couple of passages we're going to kind of jump around in chapter 10 here. So um, Peter has seen his vision here, Cornelius, and and then um, Cornelius has sent some to him. So verse 22, and they said, uh, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, pay attention to that, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you. Uh, to come to his house and to hear um, so that he can hear what you have to say. Jump over to verse 30. This is uh, Cornelius giving account of what he saw. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house um, at the ninth hour, and behold, the man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Uh, Peter uh, goes on there in verse 34 through 43 to um, preach to them the, the gospel. In verse 44 we find, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and he had not even gotten to the altar call yet. Right? He had not even gotten to the point where it's like, make a decision for Jesus yet. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. These God-fearing Gentiles having heard the gospel here. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. So then Peter goes back to the church, verse 15 of chapter 11, and he's giving an account of what has taken place here. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gifts, gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the same Peter who earlier in this book was preaching this very message, finds himself amazed as God is fulfilling this truth. If we pressed on all the way into uh, chapter 19 here, we would see uh, Paul in Ephesus and this uh, kind of uh, to the nation's reality becoming true and the evidence of the Holy Spirit being poured out here. Uh, verse 19, or verse 1 of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So whose disciples were they? They were John's disciples here. Uh, Paul said, and Paul said, verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance and telling the people who believe, people to believe in one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, 
they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Who is outside the reach of God's Spirit? Um, when we look at these examples that we've looked at in the book of Acts and we attempt to apply them as though they were um, speaking to a second experience to the believers, to all believers, we undervalue Pentecost. We undervalue what Pentecost represented. This promise of the Spirit is to all people, all who would believe. That's why we're, we're given these accounts. That's why we see these special events. So that we, looking upon this, looking upon all that's taking place in the church, would realize that the Spirit of God is for all believers. It is not something that you ought to expect after. Right? That you ought to strive for as a believer. When you place your faith in Christ... The power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he works in his people to upend the powers that be in this world. He is building his kingdom on the rubble of Satan's kingdom. He's building his kingdom on them. We're going to see in just a little bit that the Holy Spirit came to judge the ruler of this world. He has found him lacking. And he is upending it, using his people, his church, by the power of his spirit. We'll close there for now.